It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Ready or not, here it is. Time for Green and Growing. Welcome to a new Saturday morning on your radio, 95.5 WSB. I am Ashley Frasca in for the next three hours. That seems like a long time, but it goes by awfully quickly, six to nine every Saturday morning. And I'll be back on the radio tomorrow, too. I'm guest hosting the weekly checkup uh, at 3 p.m. tomorrow. So a lot of studio time this weekend, but that's okay. A lot of warm weather, too, so I may avoid the outdoors and spend some time in the air-conditioned studios of WSB. I hope you have plans for a great Saturday, getting closer and closer to Memorial Day weekend, and it's going to feel like it's back to normal. I can't wait. One thing that does not feel normal, though, are these uh, soon-to-happen 90-degree temperatures. Holy cow, you've heard Brad Nitz in for Kirk Mellish all week talking about how it's really going to warm up, and it's going to be dry. I mean, 92 on Sunday, 94 Monday, 95 Tuesday, 94 Wednesday, and much the same, carries on almost to to take us to June. So it's going to be hot. Wear the sunscreen and make sure things get watered properly in the lawn. So I wanted to start off talking about that. And, of course, your calls. We'll give you time to get set up there with DeMarco. 404-872-0750 is the number to call. I do want to do garden check-ins. I may start that every few Saturdays, a couple Saturdays a month, where I want to take your calls and just check in on how things are going in your garden. So I, I would venture to guess that right now things are going pretty well. But if I talk to uh, a number of you in a couple of weeks, things may be dead uh, because watering is going to be so important. And that's just one of the most stressful, arduous things that gardeners have to do is really, you know, taking care of that garden, being out there and touching it every single day to make sure things are going accordingly. So I did want to share with you um, some of the the things that I have prepared to maybe help you weather the storm, so to speak, and get through these dry, hot days that we have coming up. A lot of you just installed some new plants, maybe some summer perennials, some vegetables in those gardens. Um, not much to be doing with lawns right now unless you've fertilized maybe, but you haven't really put down a new lawn, I don't think. Uh, but just take a good look at the plants right now because according to the forecasts, we may not see rain for a week and a half or so. So watering tips, here here they are. Take note of these. And a lot of these are common sense once you really think about them too. Keep an eye on your fescue and zoysia lawns. They'll show you when they need water. They'll show you a few signs of stress. Uh, Bermuda and St. Augustine, a bit more tolerant of the dry conditions. So you're lucky there, but still lawns need one inch of water per week. And ideally what you want to do is water more deeply, less often. So rather than running the sprinkler for just 20 minutes, uh, three times a week, you know, after you get home and get off work, that's not really doing a whole lot. But if you leave that sprinkler on for an hour, hour and a half, I know that seems like a long time, but you want to see the water start to puddle and start to run down the sidewalk or run down the driveway after it's been, you know, running on the lawn for quite some time. That's going to develop a deeper root system for the lawns rather than the roots kind of staying stunted and not so deep. Um, then they're always going to be going to the surface a lot more frequently to look for moisture. So the deeper root system, the better. That one makes sense. Um, we're not under any watering restrictions right now. We're not under a drought or anything like that. But be mindful of that when those times do come. Um, if you're odd-numbered, even-numbered street address when you're supposed to water, 
But just to be most efficient and not be wasting your time and your money on the water bill, watering between 10 p.m. and 9 a.m. is most efficient. So actually going through my neighborhood this morning, leaving out at 4.45 in the morning, uh, saw a lot of homes with their sprinklers on. So that that's the right thing to do before 9 a.m. Um, when you water at night, that leaves things susceptible to fungus. Um, the wet leaves that go into the evenings, uh, that just is not good. We need, we need that to have time to dry out. Um, and remember, if you've got a lot of trees in your landscape, those need watering too, uh, but they take water away from smaller plants. So if you haven't done some of your summer planting, they're going to rob those smaller plants of the moisture and some nutrients that they need. So maybe not the best idea to plant the two together. Um, but yeah, keep the trees watered too. And a reminder for shrubs and flowers, uh, avoid overhead watering. A, it's just wasteful. A lot of it's not really going to where it needs to go. It doesn't need to hit the leaves. Uh, Water at the base, and that's quick absorption at the soil level, and you have little to no evaporation when the water is going right where it needs to go. Of course, hanging baskets and things like that, you'll probably reach a sprinkler wand, you know, overhead and, and water that way. But especially for vegetable gardens, it's good to just go out there and do some kind of drip irrigation or maybe a watering can that's uh, targeted to the base of the plant. So there you go. There's some tips, and I'll share them online probably tomorrow. Usually, you know, guys, when I get off on Saturday morning, I don't go home and do a lot of social media or web stuff or whatever. So, uh, yeah, give me a day or so. But I'll post some things on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. When you search Facebook, type in Green and Growing WSB, and you'll find some Helpful hints there. And last Saturday, we did talk about uh, azaleas, and I didn't get as in-depth with azalea pruning as I wanted to, Uh, but now is the time. You see that that and your rhododendrons just have the dead blooms on them now, so this is the time to go ahead and prune them. And when you're pruning, you know, there's different sizes. There's smaller azaleas. There's very large azaleas. The rhododendrons are pretty big. Two different types of pruning, and it depends on really what you're going for, whether you're a reduction in size or whether you're just kind of shaping things up, but you've heard of thinning cuts and heading cuts, okay? So when you're pruning, and real sharp pruners, that's key as well, have really good tools when you do these things. Uh, A thinning cut, that is just the complete removal of a branch when it goes back to where it comes off a main trunk or another branch. You're thinning it out. You're just taking limbs out left and right. Uh, That removes leggy branches that extend beyond the canopy, that may be keeping the rest of the you know shrub from getting the sun it needs. That all obviously reduces the size of the plant, and it's a way to remove any damage to diseased wood. You don't want to just cut that in the middle of a branch and leave an open, you know, a gaping open kind of wound where there's just dead wood. Nothing good is going to come of that. So thinning cuts can be done any time of year without significant impact on flowering or cold hardiness. Don't worry about that. Heading cuts that refers to cutting a branch back. Not necessarily to a side branch, but when you do a heading cut, new shoots are going to emerge within six inches of where you just made that cut. So when you're doing a heading cut, these are generally the reasons why. You're reducing the size of the plant, but you're also increasing the number of branches and spurring on that new growth to, you know, rejuvenate the plant. Uh, Severe pruning of old, overgrown plants within 6 to 12 inches of ground level is a common type of heading. That's that's extreme cutting back. But that's what I do with knockout roses, for example, in February. Um, I take the whole bush back to like 12 inches high. I mean, there's nothing left of it. 
but it's grown out beautifully. It's flowered out beautifully now. It's maybe about two and a half feet tall. And I know by the end of summer, the knockout roses by my front door are going to be, you know, four and a half, five, five feet tall. So I was not worried about taking them back to, to 12 inches. New shoots emerging from old stems should be thinned out and headed back just to encourage branching and a full canopy. The best time to make heading cuts is just after the plant flowers. So right now, it allows sufficient time for new growth to mature and harden off before winter. But you got to think a lot of these plants are using energy to put new buds on, let's say July, you know, July, August, something like that. So we're getting ahead of that, going ahead and doing the pruning that we need now. Um, And, you know, that's when you see a lot of frost damage is when you prune at the wrong time. And it, it always is a signal to a plant to grow, to put on new growth when you when you prune. So that new growth comes on, and then when it gets too cold immediately after that, that's where you see frost damage and little tips of branches dying and things like that. Generally not fatal to the plant, but just doing this at the right time, that new growth will have plenty of time to strengthen up before we get to the cold months. So let's see another tip. Uh, azalea limbs are killed occasionally by fungal diseases or freezing weather. And so limbs should be pruned out with small hand pruning shears. The heavier, like, lopping, lopper, did I say that right? Lopping shears. Those are used for cutting out large stems, not hand pruners. You need something a little bit bigger. Cut diseased and dead wood back to the point where it's up against live wood, something new. Um, And I did that with the blueberries, too. I've got plenty of blueberries that are starting to ripen on my blueberry bushes in containers on the back deck. But there are some dead canes that are just kind of in the way. So I cut those back. May not be the best time, but I have enough production right now to where I'm not missing the dead limbs that are just taking energy from the plant. So there you have it. 404-872-0750 is the number to get into green and growing. So in just a few minutes, we will talk to Tony in Berkeley Lake. Two dogwoods wondered if he overwatered them or maybe underwatered them, but they both died So we'll see what's going on with that. David and Tucker, insects are attacking his spice bush. We need to identify what they are, what to do about them. And David in Fayetteville, a large area of fungus on his periwinkle. Oh, no. We'll see what's going on there. And your calls as well. Coming at the bottom of the hour, I think we're we're right in the midst of this cicada thing, right? This 17-year periodical cicada brood 10 um, so I'm going to talk to Walter about that at the bottom of the hour, what you're seeing, maybe what you're not seeing here in Georgia, but what you need to know about cicadas. I don't think there's any need for panic. 618, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. An update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Listen to this. Saturday, mostly sunny. Sunday, mostly sunny. Tuesday, mostly sunny. Oh, I skipped Monday. That's mostly sunny, too. So uh, it's pretty much the same, like, throughout the entire week. A high of only 86 today because tomorrow highs are going to be in the low 90s. So mostly sunny and hot. Like I said, be prepared. Dress properly. Make yourself comfortable and wear sunscreen. Green and growing. Green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, getting right to calls here in just one minute. But first, top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. Number one, plant long-blooming azaleas like daylilies, coneflowers, shasta daisies. If you've got shade, 
Caladiums could work, hostas, and hugra, coral bells. Those are all good options. Break up the dirt really, really well. Don't dig too deeply, but when you do dig a hole to put these plants in, run some water. Walk away, let the soil absorb the water. If it's really dried out, again, run a little more water and then go ahead and plant. Just break up the dirt. Number two, fertilize roses and azaleas now to encourage maybe a second bloom and continue feeding them on schedule through at least the month of June. And number three, move houseplants outside for the summer, but you want that container in an area that just receives partial shade. Most of these houseplants, they do not need direct sun. That's going to be kind of a shock to them. All right, headed to the phones up first. Tony in Berkeley Lake, good morning. How can I help? Hi, how are you? Hey, great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, no problem. Okay, I have, <clears throat> I've planted two dogwoods in the past, and I basically planted one last year about this time, and it was a regular dogwood. I think it was a native, like, I think they called the uh, Cornus Borita, or I'm not sure. It wasn't a Cusa, but it was just a regular one. Okay. So anyway, it's probably less than a inch caliper, and uh, when I planted it, I just didn't know how much to water it, and within a couple Probably about a week or two, you know, you start seeing the uh, leaves, you know, starting to turn yellow, then they turn brown, then pretty soon the dog wouldn't end up dying. So I ended up replacing it with another one. Okay. And basically I try to water less, not watering as much, I guess, then I it started doing the same thing too. So I'm just clueless of what I'm doing. Now, I do know coosas are a little more, you know, drought tolerant than other species of dogwoods. Um, We do need to make sure about an inch a week. That kind of goes the same for lawns, especially newly established, Tony. When you're putting in those new dogwoods, you've got to make sure that watering is just so key in the first few months. Um, But I'm almost wondering if what you're describing with the leaves, if that could be more environmental and maybe something in the soil causing some diseases. Um, something that's common that you would be seeing now would be powdery mildew, just a white dusty covering on all of the leaves. Um, that does cause leaf drop. Um, something else could be anthracnose, and that's really a, a sign of the health of the entire dogwood. If you've got anthracnose, um, that occurs on dogwoods this time of year. Really, when it's been super wet and almost overwatered, too much water, maybe. Um, we did have some really rainy times there in March. Uh, leaves, though, have lots of pinhole-sized spots, and the spots are numerous, and they distort the leaf. And then, like you said, it may start to kind of curl a little bit, turn brown, that kind of thing. Um, and then dogwood blight. Now, that is probably not going to happen to dogwoods that are more open lawns that receive more sun. But if it's definitely understory, stays pretty shady. Dogwood blight, medium size, like dead spots uh, that just kill most of the leaf. But a good sign of that, Tony, if that's the case, dogwood blight, that starts on the lower branches and works its way upward. So kind of take a look at that. Uh, But generally, when establishing a new tree, you want at least an inch of water per week. And hopefully, you know, you dug the, the right size hole, didn't bury it too deep, didn't put dirt up beyond the root flare. Um, so see if the, any of those symptoms. Look carefully at the leaves. Call me back. That's your homework assignment. Call me back next Saturday, and we'll get to the bottom of it, Tony. All right, coming up on news, weather, and traffic, and a conversation with Walter Reeves. You're listening to WSB.
other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So if your name is some variation of Dave, Davey, David, you're likely on hold to the show right now. Three of you right in a row. Bam, bam, bam. I love it. All right. Insects attacking a spice bush. We'll get to that. Maybe some kind of fungus uh, on or underneath periwinkle. We'll talk to David in Fayetteville about that. Up first, though, is Dave in Shambly. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I have I planted caladiums and uh, uh, elephant ears a uh, year before last. I had a great, great stand last year. My elephant ears are coming up great, but uh, my caladiums have not bloomed at all this year. Ooh. I'm so- wondering why. Now, did you overwinter them? Did you dig them up in the fall and bring them into the garage or something, or did you just keep them in the ground? I kept them in the ground. That could be. Um, I have always dug mine up and brought them into the garage and tried to overwinter them. Uh, Although this winter wasn't severely cold, um, there's a chance they've made it. But really, they're not going to be spurred on until soil temperatures get to at least 70 Uh, which I honestly haven't checked the soil temperatures this morning, but I think we're on the way. Um, Traditionally, people have always said don't put caladiums out until the time when you're going to do okra seeds. Both of those things just need a lot warmer soil temperature. Um, And it's got to be, you know, it's got to stay kind of moist soil, uh, but well-drained. So it could be one of those two things, Dave. I mean, it could be they're still just hanging out there and it hasn't warmed up enough for them to start to put on the new growth that you'll see or they may not have made it through the winter. So I would still give it a couple of weeks and be patient and just see if they start to show. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, patience is a virtue, man. That's that's tough because, you want, yeah, you're ready. Like, it's summer almost. You, you want to see them. So um, report back and let me know. I really hope they made it over the winter, though. I mean, that could be. And, like, your elephant ears, that, too, with me. I did not dig mine up. I They're established enough to where I keep them in the ground, and they're they're starting to look really good, too. So... I think that just may be it. All right, Ashley, I appreciate it. Thank All right, you. good to hear from you. Thank you. You be safe. All right, up next is David in Tucker calling about Spice Bush. Good morning, David. Uh, morning, morning. Uh, what I was doing was uh, looking for host plants for different species of swallowtail, and oh. spice bushes are included there. Nice. And uh, at the same time I was investigating that, I was told there's an invasive pest that is a boring insect that can attack your spice bushes, and I wanted to know if that would kind of make it prohibitive on acquiring spice bushes or how to deal with that problem. You know, I have not um, read that any, you know, that spice bush is prone to any particular insect attacks, Um, so I'm not really sure. I mean, I think they're, I thought they were generally pretty agreeable uh, in most situations i'm not sure what what insects in particular i mean did it say no that's you got the exact uh total amount of information i managed to glean yeah huh well but if they're good for swallowtails and stuff that's great right yeah the uh there are five different species of swallowtail in georgia and uh a couple of them seem to be doing pretty well but the others uh reproduce on plants that gardeners don't have a tendency to prefer because they're not very flashy. So 
That's and, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and spice bush, man, that is. Um, that is really a showy plant, you know, greenish yellow and then turns yellow. And have you ever crushed those leaves and been able to smell kind of that spicy odor when you crush the leaves? Right. It's a little difficult to find at retail here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talked to Pike, they said they didn't carry it. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, they're more suited for a little bit further out west. Like I'm thinking western Tennessee, Missouri. I guess that's called the Midwest area. Um, not sure why they're not as good here, um, but they fruit as well. So I don't know, David. I, I really wish I knew the answer to that. And when you're talking about pollinators, too, and uh, just watching, you know, the different bees and things like that. I got a good Facebook group for you, the Georgia Pollinator Census. Uh, Becky Griffin's been on the show from the University of Georgia, and the Facebook page, Georgia Pollinator Census, has great suggestions about what pollinators to attract, what to use to attract them. There's really cool pictures of butterflies from time to time as well. Um, so you may you may learn a lot there, too, because I know your mind is curious just like mine. So uh, Becky puts out a lot of great stuff there. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, good to hear from you, David. It's not a Saturday morning until you call. I love it. All right. And speaking of Saturday mornings, folks calling in, Walter Reeve sets his alarm simply just to join us on Saturday mornings. And then the joy of retirement, he can go right back to sleep. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. And he's back, ladies and gentlemen. You know to expect the former host of the Lawn and Garden Show, Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, on with me every Saturday morning. Walter, welcome back. I'm cowering in my bed. Actually, <laughs> I'm terrified. What's bugging you? Cicada apocalypse is coming. Cicadas are coming, Ashley, and we're just terrified in the insect world. You know, I got to admit, I have definitely received a few questions about that. And I think, is it the news attaching one of those stories trying to create panic? But I had (laughs) Melissa Joe wrote in on Facebook about a month ago and said, are you going to discuss cicadas? Someone told me they're swarming this year. How do we plan for that? So maybe she's Uh cowering too. Well, swarming isn't quite the right word. They are going to emerge. A million per acre could be the number coming out. And not so much North Georgia, but a lot of the parts of Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Ohio, up through there. It'll be on the news. You can guarantee it'll be on the news. So people will ask here in Georgia about cicadas. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so what I know about cicadas, at least, they cause damage to plants because they lay the eggs and all of that kind of thing. But no health threat at all to us or our pooches or our cats or anything like that. So I guess we could start off with that good news. Well, the good news, too, is they are edible. Ew. You can eat them, Ashley Fraska. Mm. No, I'm good. <laughs> Come on now. You would want to know. I get my protein from other sources, okay? <laughs> uh, well, I saw an analysis the other day of how much protein and fat and minerals and things like that they have in them. And the guy who was providing the information was talking about how much they tasted like shrimp. Oh, and when they're younger, they're tenderer, and so get them when they come right out of the ground and eat them then. Okay, so this is this is the cicada. <laughs> this is the thing that we also, you know, hear the seventeen-year locust. Even though they're not locusts, people say yeah. that. But I mean, is that true? They emerge about every seventeen years, or is it like it's on the crazy. dot exactly? Yeah. Two thousand three, seventeen years ago, about oh. I was doing television in Cincinnati. 
and they'd come out that year, and they were so deafeningly loud that we had to cut off and do our TV show for two weeks. Well, it was so noisy because we just couldn't do no. TV outdoors. It was too loud. Really? 17 years ago. You know, I'm thinking in 2003, I was on the campus of the University of Georgia, and I think I've told you this story before, but, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time outdoors in the campus, you know, walking to class and just yeah. milling around. And I remember hearing those sounds, and I just always thought, stupid me, thought it was uh, the crosswalk making that noise. And I always thought, man, that is the strangest sounding crosswalk. But come to find yeah. out, probably 2003, that's what it was. And it's important to remember, too, that there are two kinds of cicadas. There are the periodical cicadas, which is what we're talking about here, the 17-year and some 13-year cicadas that come out in that interval. And then there are annual cicadas, dog day cicadas, some people call them, that are common in Georgia every year. The okay. annual cicadas will come out in the fall. There is slight differences between their life cycles and uh, how what they do when they're outside of the earth where they live most of the time. But the annual cicadas are common. We hear them, and they sound like you said, a crosswalk sign, like that. And the the periodical cicadas sound about the same, except there's millions of them, millions in the trees all over the place. They've been living in the ground for 17 years, sucking very gently, very not much damage done at all to trees, but they live off the nutrients and moisture that comes from tree roots. And so that's where you see them emerge. Once they've matured after 17 years, there's some signal that sets them all off, and they come out of the ground. And there'll be lots of lots of little holes about the size of your finger, fingertip, about a half-inch sandwich of holes. And they crawl out of those holes and up the bark of the tree, and there creature, I guess we'd call it, will split his back skin, his exoskeleton will split and he will emerge from the exoskeleton and it will keep crawling up the tree until he gets to a limb. And I say he advisedly because all the men are out there making noise saying, hey, hey, baby, hey, come on down here. I'm the best looking cicada you have ever seen in your life. And I make my noise so pretty <laughs> to attract the mate. Oh, the things you guys do to try to win us over. <laughs> I've never done that at a bar. No, I would hope not. <laughs> so, you know, with this emergence of, of them this year, you know who's going to be really happy about it? Who? The uh, cicada killer. Oh, the cicada killer wasp. I mean, they're going to totally, eat well, right? Yeah, they'll be very, very well fed. Uh, cicada killer wasps, for those who do not know, are these humongous wasps that... Uh, takes cicadas and kills the female, in this case, does all the work, and she takes the cicada up in the tree and kills it and then buries it in the ground and put, puts her eggs on it so her babies will have something to eat when they hatch out. And so these cicada killer wasps are completely harmless, but yet they're so big that people get freaked out by seeing them around. But they will definitely have a good year this year. And, you know, the University of Maryland has put out a, a publication on this, too, in anticipation of this. And they recommend that if you intend to plant trees and shrubs in a year when these periodical ones are emerging, maybe yeah. delay it until the fall. So what do you That's think that means? Good advice. For, Real good advice. Yeah, I mean. females will, uh, once they're mated with a nicely sounding uh, cicada, they will go to the tips of the branches of trees, fruit trees could be too, and they will make a little slit there and insert their eggs. It has caused the end of the branch to flag to turn brown. And so mm -hmm. that's not a great look for your fruit trees or ornamental trees. And so yeah, it would be a good idea to wait until after they're all gone, the females are all gone, so they don't hurt your tree when you plant it.
So they don't eat the tree, but it's just the process right. of laying the eggs on it that, yeah. that kind of yeah. damage it. So, uh, so what, exactly. we're looking to deal with this for how many weeks? Usually just a couple, two or three maybe. And again, it's, it's nice to remind everybody they don't hurt you. They don't sting you. They don't bite. They don't do anything other than be a nuisance. They are, if there's a million of them around, then they'll be falling in your hair. They'll be yes. you know, crawling in your house when you open the door. They'll be on the highway. Just run over them and there'll be a oily place on the highway. But nuisance day is all they have to, to offer us, but uh, there'll be a lot of them, so it will certainly be noticeable. So they say cicada emergence density can be as high as a million per acre. So I'm going to stay out of the woods in May and June. Like, I am not. <laughs> well, shoot, I like camping, but that's just maybe not a place I'm going to be. And if you do, wear a hoodie. That's <laughs> to have over your head. Clear face mask or something so they don't fly into your face. You know, I don't think many of them do that, but they will. They'll be around, they'll fall out of the trees, and they lose their grip and fall out of the tree, then get into your hair. So that'd be sort of icky. Yuck. But, I mean, so so the be-all, end-all here is as as creepy as it sounds and as bizarre as this 17-year thing is, nothing we need to be doing. Nothing. No no way to control it, no way in the world you could control a million per (laughs) acre. No way in the world. I'll get back under the covers. I just don't want to see those creepy things in my hair. <laughs> no, keep a hood on or keep a pillow over your head or something. <laughs> so definitely a an app that you can look at. Mount St. Joseph University created an app just for this. Uh, Cicada Safari. If you and the kids want to download that free app, Cicada Safari. Um, and I did a little bit of research, you know, clicking around online and things and found some pictures for you. Um, really heavy infestations in the Ohio River Valley area and up near D.C. A lot of folks sharing photos of hundreds of them um, on one plant. And I'm trying to get you the current sightings here in the metro Atlanta area. It's sparse um, up near Maysville, up near the uh, line with Tennessee, Hiawassee and all that. Um, that's where the most have been spotted. But here closer to metro Atlanta, like five have been reported spotted in J maybe two in Dahlonega. Um, so really not that many in Metro Atlanta. I think there's one in Marietta. Now, granted, the spottings are just the people that are putting that data into this app. So people may be seeing them and not know about this app or not know to report them. But nothing, not a worry here for us in Georgia. All right, 650, back to your calls, 404-872-0750, just after the break. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's Green and Growing on WSB. Looking ahead to your weekend weather, it's about 64 degrees right now. It is quickly going to warm up today. Mostly sunny skies, high around 86. Lows only at 64 at this point. That doesn't even matter. Uh, Tomorrow, mostly sunny and hot. High of around 92. Low 90s for Metro Atlanta and lows around 67. Want to have time to talk to David in Fayetteville. He's been patiently waiting. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Enjoyed the uh discussion about cicadas, but I'm going to take Walter's word for them being <laughs> edible and t- eat, tasting like shrimp. You know, I mean, eat, what do you have to lose? <laughs> and people were saying, you know, online, please don't poison them because there are some humans that eat them, but dogs are eating them, you know, other things eat them and, and the cicada killer wasps. So we'll just let them be, you know? Yeah. yeah. And eat some fat trout that uh, enjoy them. <laughs> uh, uh, my question this morning, I have a large area 
uh, vinca or periwinkle mm-hmm. under several pine islands that uh, is dying back, appears to have a fungus. Yep. And I wondered if I should just leave it and not worry about it or spray it with a fungicide or right. maybe even consider putting some um, Asian jasmine in there. Now, you called it, David. You called it. it. That's exactly what it is. It has dieback. It's a common disease, a fungal disease, when it stays too wet. So make an attempt to keep it as dry as possible. The warmer weather is really going to help with that right now. Remove the affected leaves and just discard them. You can shear off the branches that looks like they, they have the stems that have cankers. Um, do a light feeding with 10-10-10 fertilizer, and that'll strengthen those up. And also, if you must spray, I really don't think you need to, though. A fungicide like Immunox would be okay, but the drier weather is really going to help out that vinca. Thank you so much for the call. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more of your calls, 404-872-0750, right here on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.